Let's just pray. Lord, as we come to your word, we ask that you would open our ears that we may hear. Help us to listen, Lord, and help us to to be challenged, to be encouraged as we hear from your word. Lord, help as we speak. And Lord, we want to hear not just words from the pulpit, we want to hear you speak to us, empower us, Lord, in what is said and what is heard. In Jesus' name, amen. In our reading just now from Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 20, I'm going to focus on one verse at the start, verse 12, and two verses at the end, verses 19 to 20. I'm not going to focus on the whole armour of God, but the, the context within which Paul puts it and the application that he draws from it. In fact, I'm actually going to focus mainly on one word, that appears twice in the last two verses. But instead of outlining that at the start and saying something and then trying to show it and apply it, what I'm going to do is try to work towards towards it, see how we have a need to do what Paul is saying. So instead of putting forward a proposition and then supporting it and applying it, I'm going to put the application first. And so it's a sort of a sermon that's backwards this morning. So if you don't see too many Bible verses, it's, it's because we're doing it slightly differently. One of the things that people struggle a lot with is confidence. Just generally, people struggle with confidence. Some people have too much confidence. There's confidence when there's nothing to back it up. But more often than not, People lack confidence in themselves. They, they don't apply for a job that they're well capable of, of doing and getting because they don't believe, they don't have confidence that they have what it takes. Young people might f- feel that they don't have confidence to take somebody out on, or to ask somebody out on a date but for fear of rejection. They think, I'm never good enough. Many people won't get, they won't trust professionals, they won't trust a counsellor to help them when they need counselling because they just don't think, they don't have confidence that the professional has actually got the skills to help them. The same applies in many different areas of life. And as believers, we often lack confidence in the gospel, that God's word can change lives Instead of trusting in God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit to use it to change lives, we trust in our own powers or persuasion, which really aren't that great. And because we don't have confidence in our own ability to change people's minds, we, we shy away from sharing the gospel with them. Instead, we should have confidence in God's word and simply say it and leave it and allow the Holy Spirit to do the persuasion. If we lack confidence, we not only feel insecure or defeated, we also act as those who are insecure or defeated. In our walk with the Lord as we follow Jesus, which is the 
the series that we're doing, we can easily lose confidence, lose trust, lose assurance that the gospel is good news. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. That God's word can cut through into the hardest of hearts. The Holy Spirit can change lives. We can easily fall into the trap of taking the world's view of Christianity and making it our view, being sheepish as a result. Too often the world has a very different view of God's word than what we do. When it comes to many things such, you know, the world tends to think that Christianity is old-fashioned. It's got out-of-date sexual ethics. It's repressive towards women, they say. They try to argue even that it's dangerous for people's mental health. People are putting forward laws or trying to, to change laws that not only are the extreme versions of deliverance ministry or the most coercive of psychological control over people, totally out of order and even criminal under certain laws. What they're trying to say is not only should that be banned, but also we should not even be able to say anything that might be construed as maybe changing someone's sexual orientation. We're not able to even preach the word of God. We're not even able to pray for somebody because that could be seen to be coercive control. Conversion therapy, banning conversion therapy is not just about banning psychologists who have dangerous practices, extreme practices. They're trying to ban us even praying with people, even saying what God says, even with their consent. So the world is very much against us, trying to portray us as having not just an out-of-touch message, but even a message which is incompatible with 21st century life. We feel under pressure to keep it to ourselves, to not speak to only discuss it and live it out in our private lives. In one sense, every generation has been trying to suppress the truth of God's word. If you read Romans 1 verse 18 to, to the end of the chapter, you'll see that the people have suppressed the truth in all forms of unrighteousness, in all different kinds of ways. And so this is nothing new. It just might be a little bit more felt more strong than in, in past generations. But whatever the cause, we are in danger of losing our confidence in the gospel. It might be for fear of cancel culture. It might be for fear of ostracism. It might be for fear of not having the right words. But are we in danger of losing our effectiveness as individuals, as a church, as the church. Have we been brainwashed by the world into losing so much confidence in the gospel that we don't say anything sometimes when we have the opportunity? Jerry was saying recently about C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. And in that fictional book, Lewis tries to show us the tactics of the devil 
there's a, a more experienced demon that is trying to show a, a less experienced newbie about how to distract Christians, how to distract unbelievers from believing, how to lead people astray, how to take away their confidence in what they believe. The devil is the father of lies, not only of complete fabrications of the truth, but he's also the one who is the father of distortions of the truth. Just adding a little bit of untruth, enough to neutralize the truth. It's the same right from the, the very first lie in the garden. And it just continues today. The problem is that although we don't always accept the things that the world and the devil promote, although we don't always agree with them, we can point out that's wrong. Although we might not give in to these tactics, we still sometimes give in to the attitude and the perspective. We too often retreat into our shell. We hunker down and we, we wait till the situation's passed. We lack confidence not only to engage with others, but we lack confidence in who we are. We lack confidence in God's word. We lack confidence in the ability of the Spirit to change lives. Paul says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We are in a spiritual battle. We know it. And sometimes we know it much more than others. But Paul says we are in a spiritual battle. And we're not fighting against people, flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Demons that are unseen. Some of the, some of the laws that are passed in Parliament or Stormont are not just people passing laws. Behind that there's behind the men in white suits and the women who are well-dressed, there's demonic forces sometimes. Evil rulers and authorities passing laws. And people think they're doing their own will and they think they're free to do the things they want to do. They don't realize that they're, like, they're being led like the Pied Piper, lead, led people astray. We need to be on our guard As we've seen again and again, as, as well as people being, during times of war, as well as people being casualties of war, there are other casualties as well. And one of those is the truth. At times of conflict as well, even during ordinary times, it's, it's more and more of a problem now. We, we know we've, we've seen that in so, so much of our own history. There are cover-ups there's fake news, there's propaganda. And the messages that people hear really affect how they respond. People believe what they hear far more often than they like to think. They don't question what they hear as much as they ought to. If somebody told them, they think it must be true. You don't know where that person got it from. 
And when a cover-up suits one side in a conflict, they happily believe the lie without asking too many questions of whether it's true or not. We've seen that in Russia recently. We've seen it in the north. We've seen it in so many places. But when we hear the world sidelining the things of God, putting down Christianity, and often religion in general, we too often accept that. When the world says that Christianity is repressive to self-expression, that people can't be free to be who they feel themselves to be, Christianity says we have to conform to biblical sexual ethics. We have to conform to what the Bible says about gender. We have to conform to what the Bible says about morality. People are saying that's not allowing people to be who they are. The Bible suppresses self-expression. Well, it's starting to, to come about that there's even, I think, a few years ago, somebody in the United States, an argument for uh, a pedophile, a lawyer put in court, but this person has just been true to who they are. This is how they feel. Therefore, they should be allowed to do what they feel like. And that argument is thrown out of court. But that same argument is what people are doing in so many other areas of life. So people can't say that just follow what you feel, it's okay, because they too have their restrictions. That argument does not hold. Fifty to a hundred years ago, people were more interested in doing the right thing than today. Now they're interested in doing what they feel more than what was right or wrong. And the message that the church gave was that people... If people trust in Christ and in God's word, not doing certain sinful things, they will be blessed. It was about how you live, what was right and what was wrong. But today the message that that people hear is that doesn't fall on, on ears in the same way as it did in the past. People were concerned with what was right and wrong, what was true, and rejecting what was untrue. Today we have a very different audience They're more concerned with what works, what feels right, instead of what's right and wrong. Today, the message of doing the will of God sounds more like repression, restricting people's freedom, than being a liberating message. But when you look at the results, when you look at what it it results in, we see people, this message that the world has of Allow people to have freedom. You end up with children. Primary school children sometimes. Now I've been just confused about what they're taught in some schools. Thankfully not as much here, but in other places. Little tots being confused about whether they're boys or girls or so many other things. In a sense, they're, they're being robbed of their childhood. Adults... They don't know who they are. They're confused to think, maybe I'm not a man, maybe I'm not a woman, maybe maybe I'm homosexual, maybe I'm lesbian, maybe... And they try different things. They're so confused. And, but yet God's word just tells us we're male and female. This is what it is. And we find safety and security in the ways of God's word. 
And yet we're told that's been repressive and limiting. But the opposite, the freedom that people are having is just turning their heads. Many years ago, well, just another point. When we look at the, the outcome of the sexual revolution in the 60s and onwards, yeah, people feel free to, to do what they like, when they like, with who they like. But the result so often is children born with parents, with, with fathers not even anywhere on the scene, sometimes not even knowing who they are. Children are growing up without that support, without that care and provision. What seems like freedom ends up harming young people's lives. Years ago, people used to say that don't focus so much about God's word. We've got a different way of improving society. Education, when everybody's educated, people will be, people won't do wrong anymore. The reason people are doing crimes and doing things that harm each other is because really they're not educated enough. Well, with education, we've just become more educated sinners. There's so many white-collar crimes and sins that are committed now. With technology, from the Industrial Revolution right through, I mean, if you look at... Technology hasn't been our saviour either. The 20th century, the most technological century, has just had the most efficient technologically advanced ways of killing people en masse much more than all the other centuries put together the result is that whatever way we look at the world's message it might appear attractive but actually it it doesn't bring blessing in the long run we see God removed from conversations from schools from homes Children being brought up without a sense of God in their lives. Not just without a sense of devotions or prayer in the home. But young people are growing up without a concept that there is a God. That there is someone that you can pray to when you're in a dire situation. Without a sense that there are rights and wrongs. And young people are growing up with insecurity, hopelessness. Too easily slipping into fear and depression, and they're just ripe for for thinking that suicide's maybe the the right way. And yet the gospel gives us a different way. The gospel gives us a hope. It gives offers us a relationship with God, which is a far better message. The world offers a message which promises freedom, but really doesn't deliver. The gospel, on the other hand, promises and delivers. We have a better message. We have a message which is better in so many different ways. And sometimes we just need to think about, this might sound restrictive, but maybe how is this restriction actually, if you turn it on its head, a good thing? Everything that the world says negatively about Christianity we can, if we use our heads a little bit, if we look into it, and we can find a reason why everything that God does is good. 
If we look back to the impact of 20 centuries of Christian generosity, you know, over the years, over the centuries, Christianity has had such an impact on society that the whole idea of giving to charity is now a normal thing. But that's not the message of the world, even though they've sort of adopted it and think it's theirs now as well. 20 centuries ago in the Roman world, the whole idea of Christians caring for people who weren't their own, weren't their own family, weren't their own group, that was not only unheard of, but that was even repulsive to the Romans because it challenged them. It was unheard of in their culture. And at that time, before Christianity came to the West, as Rebecca McLaughlin points out well, the role of women was very different in society. In the Roman world, two-thirds of the population were male because women either, well, some of them died in childbirth, but little girls were just killed because girls weren't as, as valued as boys. And yet... In in the Christian church, women were valued, women were respected, so much so that although in society two-thirds of people were male, in the church two-thirds were female. Christianity was described as being a female religion. It liberated women, it respected women so much. Husbands had to be faithful to their wives Husbands had to love their wives as the most important thing in their lives. The first thing, husbands were to love their lives as Christ loved the church. That was their prime responsibility, not to be leaders in the home. Their responsibility, most of all, was to love their wives. This is indeed a good message. This this message reformed family life. And we take that for granted now. But we're living off the benefits of that. When we think in so many different ways, the church has a good message. The church has a better message. The church ought to be not a place where people are feeling that they have to be restricted into living a certain way. The church is a place where we can live lives of freedom. We don't have to be constrained to sin The church ought to be a safe place for people who are coming from the confusion of the world. There's spiritual darkness out there, but we ought to be a haven, a light on a hill. We ought to be a place where it is safe for people to come in as they are. Whatever gender they feel like, whatever orientation they have, whatever crimes they may have committed, the church ought to be a safe place for people to come in And to hear the message of the gospel. Whereas too often church is a place where we say, well, change how you're living and thinking and then you can maybe come in and and, and be among us. We let people come in as they are, but not to stay as they are. So that they can be transformed by the power of the gospel, the power of Christ working in them. The gospel is a message of eternal life eternal hope, happiness, joy despite present difficulties. The gospel is a message of becoming a new person in Christ, having a new identity. 
The gospel is a message that we are valued not because of our skills and talents and what we've done or who we are. We're valued because we are people made in the image of God, regardless of what our experiences or past track record has been. The gospel is that our guilt is forgiven, that we are accepted not because of who we are or what we have done, but because of Christ and who he is and what he has done for us. The gospel offers a message of liberation from the power of sin in our lives. Being able to walk in the spirit, being able to keep the righteous requirements of God's law instead of being slaves to sin. The gospel is a message where we know the truth and the truth shall set us free. The world is offering a message which offers freedom, but it doesn't deliver. The gospel does deliver. We have a better message than the world. We have a better story to tell. And we need to have more confidence in that story. We need to realize that regardless of what they say, it's not true. We have a better story, which is true. So let's have more confidence in that story that we have. Let's live that story and let's tell that story more. The idea of Christians telling a better story, which is the theme for today's sermon. We have a better story. That theme of telling a better story than the world is one which is becoming more highlighted in recent years. For example, I've ordered for the Lending Library a book titled Telling a Better Story by Joshua Chatraw. If you'd like to borrow it, let me know and I'll put your name down first for it. But telling a better story has been the motivation or one of the ideas behind putting out our Crosstalk magazine that the gospel is good news, that we have a better story than what the world is offering. Let's... Let's be confident in that. We have a true story. God's word is true. God's word is glorious. We have a message which, although it is not focused on the here and now and getting all you want and all the blessings here and now, that the bulk of our blessing is is still to come in eternity. Even though we own an inheritance that is still to come and we don't experience it in full here and now, it is still a better message. It is still a better story. We need to have confidence in the gospel, in God's word, that by the power of the spirit, God's word changes lives. At the end of this passage that we've read, Paul writes in these two verses, Ephesians 6, 19 to 20. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Or as other translations have it, to boldly or confidently make this gospel known. Like the ESV Pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. 
we often gloss over those words. Paul, we often think Paul is just saying, pray for me. But he's actually saying, pray for me that I may confidently, fearlessly, courageously share this gospel message. That I may have confidence in it. Because that is how I ought to speak this message. We ought to speak the gospel with confidence. With assurance. But he didn't just say that I hope to be courageous. I hope to fearlessly or confidently or boldly share the gospel. He says, pray for me that I will. We are not simply to go out after hearing what we've discussed this morning, thinking, right, I'm going to be confident. We ought to go out and pray that God will give us the confidence. We need to walk in his strength, not our own. We need to depend through prayer in him. Our confidence needs to be not only in his word, but in his working his word out through us. So let's pray for ourselves, for each other, for the church, as it lives out the gospel in the world, as it declares, as it shares the gospel, that we may do so confidently, fearlessly. We have a better message. We have no reason not to, other than fear of the world. We have a better story. Do we really believe deep down that we have a better story? Are we afraid to tell people? Sometimes we just fear telling them because we're more concerned about being rejected by them because we tell them things that they might not want to hear. But let's, let's not think of ourselves and what they might think of us. Let's think of them that they need to hear this good story this gospel message, this good news. Sometimes we don't have an opportunity. We don't want to Bible bash people. We don't want to speak at times when it's not appropriate. Sometimes we can just live it out. At other times we'll share just snippets of it. But when we do share, let's give people the impression that there's a lot more that they haven't heard. There's a lot more that they need to hear that that we're just giving them a taster of something which is wonderful. If we do have the opportunity to share more, that's great. But we don't have to download the whole thing onto them all in one go. Sometimes we just give them a taster. Even if it's just the confidence that we have a better story, that can sometimes even speak to them powerfully. We have a new identity in Christ. We have the grace and the mercy of God, the love of God in Christ Jesus. We have forgiveness of sins. We have the good shepherd with us here and now. We have fellowship with one another. We have eternity to come. We have so many good things about our message. And yet we're in a battle, a spiritual battle. Let's not believe the propaganda of the enemy. Let's be confident in our God, in our gospel, in our Savior. Let's be confident through prayer. And let's pray for this gospel outreach in September and October. Let's pray for our personal evangelism. Let's pray for our church evangelism. Let's pray for the spread of the gospel and the growth of the church. 
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, we don't have a message that we have made up ourselves. We have a message you have given us. And it's a wonderful message. We thank you we have a better story. Lord, we pray that you would give us that confidence by your spirit. Give us that assurance, Lord, that we can trust in your word. That we have a message that people need. Lord, give us opportunities to share it. And Lord, we ask that you will change lives. Because your word is powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It can cut through even to the hardest of hearts. Lord, we thank you. We have a wonderful gospel. We thank you for the glory of God in the, in the gospel and in Christ Jesus. And how you work that out in the church. Lord, may we have confidence. May we be fearless. May we be confident and boldly share this gospel message. In Jesus' name, amen.